Azarius Capital Management is an independent investment advisor registered with the Pennsylvania Department of Banking and Securities. This podcast is being provided for information purposes only, and it does not constitute an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any interest in any fund managed by Azarius. Any such offer or solicitation will be made only by means of a confidential private offering memorandum. Hey, Chris. Hey, Darren. How are you? I'm good, thanks. I know we have been uh, threatening to have a conversation on long-term contracting for a while, and we're finally getting around to it. This lends itself to more of a conversation than an agenda. Maybe I can kick it off by talking about a mistake I made when we first started looking at the uranium commodity. It was everything in commodity land in our world, the way we've done things successfully in our careers, it's all based on supply and demand. That's true, definitely true of uranium, but I think what I missed or didn't fully appreciate early on was how prices set. And so in most commodities that you and I have successfully invested in in the past, price is set in the spot market. Right. And when you consider volume, volume and demand and consumption were all interchangeable in a traditional spot cleared commodity market. And in uranium, that's not really true. So demand can definitely be defined as consumption. And you and I have talked a lot about that, how consumption is actually around 185 million pounds a year, growing to something north of 200 million pounds over the next several years. But consumption doesn't really set the price, which is what I missed. Demand could be defined differently. Demand could be defined as how many pounds are put under long-term contracts each year? So I'll stop there and ask you to explain how do utilities procure their uranium if they're not procuring it in the spot market? Yeah, well, they sign contracts with uranium miners. The utilities go to the uranium miners like the Cameco of the world, and they put out an RFP and say, would like X pounds per year over the next five to 10 years. I think the average contract life is around seven years. You know, they're looking to secure their uranium for their reactors for a period of time into the future. So I think their demand for that depends on probably their feeling about supply. If you want, we can get into the history of that going back 15 or 20 years, which I think kind of might shed some light on the current situation. Yeah, let's do it. So back in the early 2000s, the idea was that uranium seemed fairly abundant. There was a lot of supply coming out of Russia as a result of the uh, Clinton-Yeltsin deal the megatons to megawatts deal that the United States signed with Russia that allowed Russia to downblend weapons-grade uranium and send it to the U.S. for use in nuclear reactors. And so there was fairly low level of contracting going on around the world in the early 2000s, say 2000 to 2004, I think contracting averaged 65 to 85 million pounds a year versus demand that was almost double that, under contracting versus their annual needs. And then the price of uranium started to move up And, you know, in 2005, utilities contracted for 252 million pounds of uranium, which was a huge increase versus the previous 10 years, really. And so that caused the price to increase. And then looking forward over the next six, seven years, all the way up to Fukushima, the average number of pounds per year contracted was 191 million pounds per year. And so during that time period, utilities signed a lot of contracts. Again, these are sort of five, seven, maybe even 10-year deals. So going into Fukushima, utilities were heavily contracted into the future. We estimate that they over-contracted versus annual demand from 2005 to 2011 by about 550 million pounds. Then along came Fukushima, 
Uranium seemed plentiful again. Utilities felt good about their contracting position. And from 2011 to 2019, utilities under-contracted by about that same amount, by about 550 million pounds, according to our estimate. We think that utilities back where they were heading into the last uranium bull market. And, and one other way of looking at that is in 2004, by our estimate, the utilities were about 44% contracted for their uranium needs over the next 10 years. That number by 2008 had risen up to about 60% as they signed all these contracts in the last several years, really since 2016. That number has come down. And now we think by our estimates, again, that utilities are back to exactly where they were in 2004, about 44% contracted for the next 10 years, which is a fairly low level, again, looking at the last 20 years. One way to look at it is that consumption is actually very, very steady. So there's really not, right. a, if, you, if you define demand as consumption, there's no demand cycle. Demand is steady. But if you right. define demand as contracting demand, how much volume are utilities putting under contract in each year, it's extremely right. cyclical. And the numbers you threw out there were going from around 50 million in the early 2000s up to 250 million in the late 2000s, and now right. back to the $50 million range. That's been really important to our thesis to understand how that impacts price discovery. So right. the way I think about it is if, if they're only signing contracts for 50 million pounds of future delivery, now I'm going to go off into a little side topic here. That 50 million pounds is delivered over a series of years. So in 2000, and let's say 2017, they signed around 50 million pounds worth of long-term contracts, right? Right. Give or take. That was for delivery well into the 2020s for the most part. Right. So it'd be a simpler analysis if it was 50 million pounds to all to be delivered in 2022, but it's spread out. So anyway, the point being that when they go into the market and say, hey, we only want to procure 50 million pounds for future delivery, that's actually the demand that sets the price. Yeah. And so until the utilities come into the market and sign long-term contracts that come closer to what their annual consumption is, the bull market probably doesn't really get started. Now, what happens in the stock market is a different question because the stocks can start to anticipate it. But the real fundamental change occurs when utilities feel the need to procure future delivery on volume that's closer to consumption, which is 185 to 200 million pounds, depending on which year you're looking at. Right. And that's really our thesis is that because they're currently at very low coverage relative to their future consumption, that's an untenable position for them. So a natural question would be, well, why are they under contracting so much and is there a catalyst that will change that? Yeah, I think definitely Fukushima created a lot of excess supply or a feeling of excess supply in the marketplace. Your utility, you feel like you have a pretty good contract book over the next seven years as a result of all that contracting leading up to Fukushima. And now you see 25 million pounds of demand just went away overnight. You see minimal need to contract. That's been the phenomenon for a while. And I think there also is, you know, people talk a lot about utilities being unable to sign long-term contracts above the spot price. So as a result of Fukushima and all this excess supply, the spot price went down below 20 in 2016 and has been below 30 until recently. And so the utilities, they want to sign long-term contracts at 30 and the miners, you know, aren't willing to do that. A lot of these contracts that the miners signed in the mid to late 2000s were at prices of 60, 70, 80, some of them $100 a pound. Those contracts are now rolling off. Miners 
have closed a lot of mines. A lot of supply has gone off the market. And so the supply is not available now at $30 a pound. We think that utilities are going to need to, to bid higher to get that. And I think a couple of recent catalysts are, are the big mine shutdowns by Kazakhstan and Cameco here in 2020 as a result of COVID. That has reduced mine supply this year by probably about 20 million pounds. And then another catalyst that we see is that we estimated that you know, excess inventories coming into 2020 were maybe in the 50 million pound range. We thought that was going to be drawn down by probably about 30 million pounds. Now we think it's going to be closer to 50 million pounds with these, these 20 million pounds going offline. And so it's our estimate that there's very little excess inventory out there now and very little spot availability going forward. We think the utilities, you know, they've been living in a world of excess for almost 10 years now. And so they think that's going to continue. We think that's going to be coming to a halt here. And so that's where we see a problem for these utilities in the sense that they're now under-contracted. Their inventories are not high. U.S. inventories were 145 million pounds a couple of years ago. Now they're down to about 100, 110, which is about two years worth of supply, which again, going back to previous discussions, is that that's kind of what you you kind of want to hold two years worth of inventory given the time it takes to, to turn uranium into uh, fuel rods. Cameco has said on their last call that they're seeing the most RFPs for uranium since Fukushima right now. So there are some signs that people are trying to maybe get out ahead of this, but those are some of the signs we see that we're getting very close to a situation where the utilities are going to start to want to come to the market again. In some ways, it's unpredictable. You don't really know. So if someone said utilities are only going to contract for 50 million pounds in 2021, will we have a bull market? I'd say yeah, probably not. Probably not. If they really are only going out in the market procuring 50 million pounds, that's available. Because we're talking about what's available over the next 10 years. And so we know that there's 50 million pounds available that's unspoken for to be delivered over the next 10 years. If they wanted it all in 2024, then the answer is yeah. Then the bull market will start because they'll find out that there isn't 50 million pounds available for delivery in 2024, for example. It's inherently ambiguous, but we know how much utilities still need to contract for delivery in each year of the next 10 years within a range of estimates. So if you go year by year, and it's hard to do over a podcast, ideally we'd be able to show viewers a table showing each year how much the global utilities consumption is still uncovered. So let's take 2025, for example. We know that utilities are not going to go into 2025 not knowing where their uranium is going to come from. And so if they still need to procure 40 million pounds just for 2025, they're very, very likely to do that between now and the end of 2023. They want to know where their uranium is going to come from. They want to know where their fuel is going to come from at least two years in advance of when they're going to actually consume it. So we looked at the supply situation, say, okay, well, is there enough supply to meet that uncovered consumption? And in any one year, the answer might be yes, but they pick away at it. As we mentioned, they're signing long-term contracts for a multi-year delivery schedule. But if you accumulate it, there's just simply not enough uranium available for delivery over the next 10 years without shut-in supply coming back on. But even accounting for the shut-in supply, the current mines that we know about that are in care maintenance, even accounting for them coming back online, the industry needs new mines to be developed. And that's not yep. going to happen without higher prices. 
So it's been a fascinating industry to study. We think the supply deficit is imminent. We think it happens in the next couple of years. But even if there's a supply deficit in 2027, 2028, which sounds like a lifetime away for investors, you could still have a bull market because utilities will uncover that supply deficit through the long-term contracting process. Yeah. I know we've talked about this before in the other podcast, but just to be clear, mine supply is, you know, we had it at 135 million pounds this year and falling. We know for a fact that several mines are going to shut down next year. The price is too low for a lot of these mines and some of them have, have depleted their resources. So 135 million and falling coming out of the mines. Secondary supply, 30 to 35 million pounds a year and also declining. Demand down a little bit this year due to COVID, but we see demand 190, 195, 200 million pounds and rising. So you have a structural deficit that's getting bigger every year by several million pounds and starting in the 30 million pound a year range. And so even if you bring back MacArthur River, that's 18, 19 million pounds, you're still short. And again, that's not coming back till they get contracts in the probably $50 range, New Cameco. So the uranium is not there, it's not there. If the utilities are gonna be able to sign contracts with miners, they're going to have to pay a higher price to either induce restarts of closed mines, continuation of mines, they're going to have to close because they're not profitable and or startups of new supply, which is going to be needed. The supply deficit from primary and secondary supplies is so obvious that we get asked, you know, how could you be wrong? The quick and easy answer is, well, there could be a demand shock like we had with Fukushima and demand could be less than we expected. Right. Could that happen? Sure. But it's only happened three times in 60 years. Really, the only fundamental way we can be wrong other than that wild card event is if we're wrong on inventory. There's only three sources of supply. Demand yeah. is, I keep saying demand, but really, we started out the podcast saying in this industry, we really have to distinguish between consumption and demand for procurement. So consumption is pretty visible. And so it has to come from primary supply or secondary supply or inventory. And uh, as you just laid out, there's not enough primary supply plus secondary supply. If we're wrong, it has to come from inventory. So I would encourage people to, if you haven't already listened to our podcast on inventory, which really lays out why we don't think there's plenty of inventory to meet this supply gap, which is why we're so bullish. Yeah. You know, I'm going to pull us back into the weeds a little bit. I would argue that until this year, the utilities were comfortable with their contracted position plus the inventory that they had on hand as a global industry. And so they didn't feel any urgency to procure their future needs. That could have changed in 2020, but in 2020, the utilities have been distracted with COVID. I mean, they had their own issues dealing with COVID, make sure that they were able to operate safely and, and continue to operate under these new conditions. And so procuring future needs became a secondary concern. In addition, in the United States, there is the RSA, which allegedly has also been causing at least some delay in decision-making. Would you mind yeah. talking about that? Yeah, sure. The RSA, which is short for the Russian Suspension Agreement, which expires at the end of this year. That is a deal that's been in place for a while between the U.S. and Russia, where Russia has been allowed to uh, fulfill up to 20% of the 
uranium needs of U.S. utilities. That's ending this year, and they're working on extending or renegotiating that. That's happening between the governments. So this is part of the utilities contract book. What we don't know is what the utilities were thinking about in terms of 2021 after this existing deal expired. There's been some talk in the marketplace that utilities have signed contracts in excess of the 20% number with Russian entities for 2021 and beyond. We don't know that to be true, but that would be a big deal if that is the case. And the deal is either extended at the current 20% level or extended at a lower level. So that's one thing. I guess the other thing maybe that you were talking about is that it just creates uncertainty in terms of utilities. They are not sure at what level they're going to be able to contract with Russian entities going forward. And so they may just be waiting to see what happens with that. So if they're able to contract at significantly higher levels, it would behoove them to wait. And if they're not, if the number is going down, maybe they also wait. So there's been talk in the market that that's been another in the long list of things that have kept utilities sort of on the sidelines over the last two or three years. If you're a utility, you don't want to sign up for uranium that you're not sure you're going to be able to legally receive. So those things have been overhanging the market since 2018, I guess, right? Yeah, I think that's right. When energy fuels and your energy filed that in, in uh, January of 2018. Which has been a bit frustrating, but at the end, I'd still go back to the idea that they really felt good about their contracted position for the intermediate term. And so they're like, we don't have to do anything, so we won't. But that does reach the limit. And so the combination of putting the Russian suspension agreement uncertainty behind them, Section 232 issues behind them, and then finally they'll look at their needs for 2024, 2025 and say, you know what, we better know where our fuel is going to come from, so let's start talking to people. I was going to shift gears a little bit and uh, ask about the U.S. election. Does it change anything from a mostly a demand standpoint, but this is a long-term contracting topic. So if Biden wins the election, what difference will that make to us in our thesis? I don't see any big difference on the demand side for utilities. He, like most of the Democratic candidates in the end, ended up signing off on, you know, being in favor of nuclear, at least for the intermediate term, meaning 10 plus years, because over the past several years, we've seen a lot of the green movement embrace nuclear for a source of large scale power, which does not emit a lot of CO2. So all of the stuff that Biden has said regarding this is that there's not going to be any effect on demand for uranium going forward from the utility side. It's possible there might be some tighter regulations of the miners, but that probably would not have a huge effect even on the profitability of the miners. I think it made sense that if you're running utility and you think that there's a political party that is more hostile towards your nuclear power plants, then you're not going to lock in future supply for 10 years. I think if you go back several election cycles, that's been the case. I think election outcomes probably did impact how far out utilities were willing to secure their fuel needs. Uh, But it does seem, as you pointed out, that both parties are embracing nuclear power, maybe for different reasons, but that doesn't really matter to us. And so I think the utility executives will be more willing to secure their fuel needs here in the United States going out several years. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right about that. So I think all of that, again, as part of nuclear being embraced, as part of the green movement, it will probably give utilities a lot more confidence about probably the next 10 years at least, no matter which party is in charge. Right. All right, Chris, I want to do a very quick conversation on Kazadamprom's announcement about 2022 production. Every year, 
about the middle of the year, they will give an intermediate term outlook for production. And a few days ago, they announced that 2022 production will be flat again. So relative to what they could produce, it's 20% less than what they could produce. Obviously, they're the 800-pound gorilla with 40% share of production in Kazakhstan. Uh, So it's always big news when they talk about production. So what's our take on on their 2022 plans? It seems to me sort of a classic commodity producer playbook. They don't want to sell their finite limited resource at a price that they think is below what the long-term economic price should be. Now, they're the low-cost producer, so they could still make money at, say, $35 or $40 a pound. But I think they're looking at it and saying, we have limited amounts of uranium. They are producing at a high level, 55 million pounds a year, but still, those pounds will run out over the next 10 years. And so I think they're looking at the market just the same way uh, Cameco did and saying, why should we be putting pounds into the market at a price that's below the long-term marginal economic of the market. So we think that's $65. They're probably looking at the same charts we are and saying, we're not sellers at 35. And it could be related to our conversation on long-term contracting too. If they had those pounds under long-term contracts, maybe they'd be more willing to produce them, but they don't, let alone at the prices that are attractive. Right. I guess there's another possibility, and it may be that it could potentially be difficult for them to ramp that production up. I mean, Kazadamprom has had a tremendous track record of ramping production up from 2005 to now from, I think it was 5 million pounds a year to 55 million pounds a year. You know, that's a lot of production. And the 70 million pounds that they have talked about being able to produce is an agreement, a subsoil use agreement that they have with the government. Certainly, it's possible that they can do that. It also might be possible that it, it could be difficult to continue to ramp that production up from 55 to 70 million pounds a year. We don't know. There may be issues around labor or even depletion of existing assets. Existing mines do deplete, so you have to produce more elsewhere to stay at the same rate. So, you know, that's another possibility that maybe it was always going to be difficult for them to really ramp that up. And maybe they're just saying, certainly we don't want to do that at $35 a pound. Right. Yeah, I guess the marginal cost presumably would just continue to go up even for a low cost producer like them. What you just described, you know, we've heard that over the course of our careers about Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia supposedly could easily ramp up to 12 million barrels a day, if not more. That's what they claim. Yet they've never really done it. And so there's a lot of skepticism whether they're capable of doing it ever. So maybe because Adam Prom's not capable of getting to 70 million pounds. But I actually thought you were going to go a different direction. There's some chatter that the impact of COVID and their lack of wellhead development in 2020 could impact them through 2021 and 2022. So again, even if they wanted to get to 70 million pounds per year, this lack of development may have made that impossible. Basically, they're saying given the characteristics of ISR mining, and the characteristics of their resources, that this delay could really be costly to them in terms of production capacity, which is interesting. Yeah, no, that's definitely, you're right. That's certainly another possibility. You know, we, we know that it's going to affect them into 2021 for sure. And then it's certainly possible that it could go beyond that as well. That's a third possibility. I feel intellectually obligated to address the claim we made when we updated people on Cameco and Kazanaprom's decision to reopen here in the near term. They're hoping to be up and running again 
by September. In Kazada Prom, with well development and for Cameco, getting Cigar Lake up and running again. And we took that as a bullish sign. We said, with the caveat that we might be suffering from confirmation bias, we said, hey, these management teams might be seeing a supply deficit. And that's why they're, they're eager to restart because they see a supply deficit. But then two weeks later, Kazadam Prom says, hey, 2022 production is going to be lower than it could be, which at first pass, it contradicts our claim that maybe we were seeing bullish signs because of the reopenings. So after some contortions, we squared that too. Again, caveat, maybe everything is confirmation bias, but there actually is a logical explanation for why both things could be true. Do you yep. want to take a crack at that? Yeah, it is possible that Kazad and Prom and Cameco have contracts that they need to fulfill in the next 18 months that they don't have the ability to do so if they don't ramp production back up. Then they may not, in Kazad and Prom's case, they may not have contracts that would require them to ramp up to their subsoil use agreement number of 70 million pounds a year in 2022. So it is possible that you have a near-term shortage without a need to ramp up further into 2022. Right. That's well said. Maybe just put a finer point on it. Another way to look at it is neither management team wanted to rely on the spot market to fulfill their contracts over the next 12 to 18 months, which is what they would have to do if they didn't take the actions that they did to restart. And they looked at the spot market and said, we can't do that. And because Adam Prom in particular had really shut down and they need to reinvest. It's with the ISR manufacturing process, they have to keep things going. It's more of a manufacturing process where cigar, they can basically go underground and start mining right away. So we'll see. I mean, I guess in the end, we didn't expect those mines to be offline anyway as part of our bullish case. So the fact that they're restarting doesn't change our outlook in 2021 and beyond. And actually, in our supply model, we were assuming that Kazan and Prom was going to stay pretty flat unless prices recovered anyway, because they've said publicly several times now that they are pursuing a value over volume strategy. Right. So their 2022 production announcement really just confirmed what we were already thinking. So it's not incrementally bullish relative to our model, but it's definitely incrementally bullish relative to the industry's model. Yeah. And in the big picture, it sort of just confirms our theory that if utilities want more pounds, they have to pay more. So I think that's kind of what Kazan and saying here. We're not ramping up at all until the price goes higher, which is what Cameco is also telling you with their pronouncements about the Crichton River. Okay. Well, I think that hits on every topic that's related to long-term contracting. To summarize our conversation here, really the price of uranium is set through private negotiations between utilities and miners and there are other steps between mining uranium and having turning into fuel that have to be negotiated but the point being price is set through a series of privately negotiated futures contracts for delivery up to 10 years out and until demand for those future deliveries comes closer to consumption that 150 to 175 million pound range the industry won't discover that there's not enough supply to meet that demand. And uh, we believe that we're at the cusp of an upturn in the cycle for long-term contracting volume, that it's been too low for too long, and that the low levels of long-term contracting volume of the last six or seven years have really put the utilities position where their future consumption is relatively uncovered. It's at a new cyclical low if you look at the last 20 years. 
And so we're probably, in our opinion, at the cusp of what would be considered a long-term contracting cycle. They should start next year, according to our estimates. And that's when you'll have true price discovery. Is there really enough uranium in the world for delivery in the mid-2020s, let alone the late 2020s? And we're convinced that there's not. And when the industry discovers that, then it'll be somewhat of a mad scramble to both procure physical uranium, but also develop the mines that have to be developed to meet consumption needs. So with that, maybe we'll sign off and welcome any, any questions or feedbacks. Thanks, right. Chris. Appreciate your, uh, appreciate your time. Yeah, it's always good to talk to you. And uh, yeah, the mad scramble is likely soon.